3: Welcome back to the National Football Show. Dan Silio here, Hour 2. We will talk with our friend Jed Fish, the head football coach of the Arizona Wildcats. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. Love coaching. You know, I love coaches that just have gone through all these tremendous journeys and coaches had. If you go on his Wikipedia page, take a look at how many gigs he's had. I mean, it could be 20. And he was the quarterback coach in... New England last year, and they called him out of the blue to take over the Arizona uh, job from Kevin Sumlin, and he ended up going on and taking that position. And now he's the head coach of one of the pretty good programs in the Pac-12, and that is the Arizona Wildcat program. So we will talk with him. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. All right, two things we're going to hit on here. I've got the big seals. Top 10 players going into training camp in 2021. You know, I kind of been teasing that the last couple days here. We'll hit on that. But I also want to throw this out, too, because I always do this. As we get ready going into training camps, you know, will this stuff adjust during the regular season? Of course it will. And why? Because the majority of the time in the year, you're going to have to go through the war of attrition. And you're going to have to deal with injuries. Okay, that's what the league is all about. How many times did we – look at what happened a couple of years back with Carson Wentz going down. Even though Nick Foles picked up the baton and still carried it across the finish line, they won a Super Bowl, which is unheard of. That's what made that journey so crazy was that traditionally when you see quarterbacks go down, look at Dak Prescott. The Cowboys had no chance in any of those football games that they were going forward with when Dak Prescott was injured. They had no chance of winning those games. So when you lose significant injuries at significant positions, the chances of you having success because there's only a 57-man roster with 43 active on an opening day or 47 active, there's no way you're going to be able to sustain that. Like in college football, you have 85 guys on scholarship, and plus you have your walk-on team. Guy gets injured, you're going to be able to go into a ball game, maybe not with a top superstar guy, but you're going to have somebody in that conversation because if he's recruited to a big-time college football program, that drop-off is not going to be that severe. You know, I've been kind of teasing everybody here that the Alabama Crimson Tide will take on my Miami Hurricanes on Labor Day weekend. Well, I mean, Alabama lost everybody, including the coordinator, in their offensive huddle, just about every single player who ended up going in the first round. But guess what they have? They've got guys that are going to step up and in, that are going to be in a conversation where they're going to be all Americans by the end of the year. Cause you know why? These guys have waited their turn the same way that Mac Jones waited his turn behind Tua Viola same way Tua waited behind Jalen Hurts, and you had that progression chain going. That's what they have going on in Alabama LSU at places like Clemson. That's just the way it is at some of those programs. You don't have that in the NFL. I like I like watches, and you know this. This kind of goes to pretty much every team in the league. If you lose a guy like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, that team's four and twelve. If you lose Russell Wilson in Seattle, that team's four and twelve. There's very few teams that can sustain losing their quarterback. Tennessee's one of them, because the bell cow on that team is not the quarterback. The bell cow on that team's the guy in the backfield. Maybe even Cleveland. Watch this. You think Cleveland still makes the playoffs if Baker Mayfield's not the quarterback? I do. I think they got the best O-line, potentially, in the AFC. They got the best running duo in the the AFC. Their defense is upgraded. They got a good roster, and they're deep. Baker Mayfield, okay. How many times did you say this last year, maybe? Okay. Well, you know, they're winning in spite of that dude. There's very few teams where you can go like this. Hey, man, they can lose their dude and still have an opportunity at being successful. So I come up with my final four as we're getting ready for training camp next month. Here's my final four and how I see going into the July training camps. And the NFC, you're going to be shocked when I tell you. You're not going to be shocked here. I'll give you the obvious. The Buccaneers, obviously. I think the Buccaneers have the best roster. And... What I like about it is, is that Jason Light went out and upgraded the backup positions. He was trying to create the depth. And you know how you create the depth when you have a quarterback that's willing to renegotiate his contract to help you loosen up some of that money so you can make your special teams strong. If your special teams are strong, always look at this. And here's the key. If a team's special teams is strong, That means their depth chart is strong. Who do you think those guys are on special teams? Those are the guys in case injury happens on your frontline guys that you've got quality players that can step in in an offensive line on punt return, maybe in the secondary at cornerback. Maybe your linebacker goes down. That's why you see the majority of those special teams guys, a couple of linemen couple D linemen, but the majority of them are secondary and linebacker guys and wide receiver dudes. When you could create your roster that way, where your special teams is a great unit, you have a great unit, you have a great roster. You know, when, when you see people jettisoning really good kickers, always know this, that's a key. When you see teams, because the Chargers are notori- notorious for this, when the Chargers get rid of really good kickers, what's that tell you? You got to cut three million bucks off your salary cap. Really, it's not that they're cheap; it's that they mismanage their money. It's like a, it's like your checking account. You got to keep your everything balanced. And if once that stuff gets unbalanced, then you're in trouble. You're underwater. You know you got overcharges, and before you know it, you're in trouble because you can't manage the cap. The teams that have really and and look, it's important obviously on game day to have grades, but you can always tell. Steelers are great always. Seattle's always great. How about New England? Dude, you you know, know, everyone always says this about New England. Where's the money go? Special teams. Because it keeps the roster balanced. They never pay big money for anybody. And that's what the Bucs are starting to do. Because you get to, you know, I don't think you realize this, but you know half the league is undrafted players. I know it's funny, you know, to see all these guys that big, you know, draft choice guys, but most of the league is undrafted or late draft choices because you have to be financially responsible. You know, when Coach Jimmy Johnson was on our program, you know, a couple months ago, Jimmy said he got to find some guys, man, to fill the roster that could give you quality starts in case of an injury, but you got to have those guys on your team so you can balance your salary cap. You gotta get lucky in some of them dudes you got to get more lucky at the back end of your roster than you almost do at the top end of your roster, believe it or not. Only way you're going to win if you sustain a catastrophic injury during the regular season. I know all that stuff goes into the mentality of general managers and head coaches on how you practice guys, how you build your roster, You know how you foresee the cap in three years, and two years. You don't want to overpay for a guy. That's what happened with Wentz and golf when they gave them those contracts so early. It just it it just threw all of their numbers off the ledge, and they were not able to manage it. And then on top of that, with the Rams, the Rams threw the money also at Gurley. Then they started throwing money at a wideout. Then they started throwing money at Aaron Donald. Before you know it, man, they were behind. That's why they went after, got Jalen Ramsey from the Jags. You know why? They couldn't start paying guys on free agency. So that's why they jettisoned all those first-round draft choices. They couldn't even pay for them because their salary cap went through the hell. They are lucky the new CBA has a clause in it where you can defer dead money because they owe Clay Matthews Jr. money, and they also owe money to Todd Gurley still. They owe him like $25 million off that contract that he signed a few years ago. All in guarantees. So I know I'm hoping I'm not in the weeds here with you because it sounds, you know, it sounds confusing, but you got to think about all of that. That's why when I'm looking at teams, and that's why I look at the Rams now. I got the Buccaneers and Rams in the NFC Championship game. I think Matthew Stafford is going to have a renaissance season where everyone picks their head up and goes, Holy crap, this guy is really good. And I made the comparison to you a couple weeks ago about Kevin Garnett being in Minneapolis when he was playing for the T-Wolves. You know, everyone always said this, boy, that guy's really a good player, but he's in Minnesota. That's what they basically said about Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford was a really good player, but he was in Detroit. And the only times you actually ever saw uh, Matthew Stafford was when? On Thanksgiving Day. You never really saw him in big, giant games or games that mattered in November and December, right? You saw him only in those Thanksgiving Day games. That's it, because for whatever reason, Detroit and Dallas are always on that day, and that's those teams are always playing then. But I think he goes in there now with Sean McVay, and I think Sean McVay has just absolutely fallen in love with the fact that this guy is a true big time arm and a true quarterback. Sean McVay is probably looking at him, and you know, and I know, I said this, you know, maybe yesterday or the day before, that Jared Goff's resume speaks to it. But I think Jared Goff was the beneficiary of having a guy like Sean McVay in the room there with him, because let's, let's be candid here. I mean, when, when Jeff Fisher was the head coach of the Rams, Jared Goff was nowhere. And you put that quote, co- you put that coach in the room, changed his entire career around. He got that. He got that gigantic contract because of Sean McVay. Now let's see if he can carry the lions. I personally think the Rams and the Buccaneers are going to be in the NFC championship game over in the AFC. I think again, we have two teams that we look at. You know, going into the upcoming NFL season, that's the Buccaneers and Chiefs. I think the Buccaneers and Chiefs. I think these two teams. If I had to pick right now, I think they're probably going to get the. You know, we're going to see the third fight, and we're going to see the trilogy, and we're going to get an opportunity. You know, I look at it like this: AFC Championship game when Brady went into, uh, he went into Arrowhead and they beat him in overtime. Brady beats him in the Super Bowl. Now we're going to get the trilogy fight here, and we're going to see whether or not, you know, third time maybe Mahomes beats the GOAT. I think there's a chance chance for that, depending on what happens with the war of attrition, of course. But I got the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. I think this team's going to shock people. I think the Colts are going. Last year, the Indianapolis Colts were 10th in offense, total offense, and they were 10th in total defense. It's the only team that has that distinction, that they were in the top 10 on both sides of the football. And they did it with Phillip Rivers, who is a turnover machine. Okay, not saying Wentz is not. Or how about this? Wentz wasn't last year. But Frank Wright is going to, in my opinion, this is going to be managing – an ego, and a quarterback, it's almost like rehab. Frank is putting Carson Wentz in a rehab right now, and he's in rehab, in this guy's confidence. Carson Wentz's confidence was shot in a place where confidence was lost in the locker room. And people will say, Dan, you really believe he can? I do believe it. I think Carson went surrounded by people who believe in him. Now, some would say this. Do you really think that the Jalen Hurts uh, draft choice bugged him? I do, and I'll tell you why. I think all of it bugged him. I think the chirping that went on between Howie, the head coach, and the owner, the drafting of the quarterback. Now, look, watch this. Someone would say this. Did you have a problem drafting Jalen Hurts? No, because guess why? They needed a safety belt. The Eagles needed a safety belt because the guy was starting to get injured. And I had no problem drafting a safety belt. And Jalen was the safety belt. So when your guy, why do you think the 49ers went out and got Trey Lance? Because they don't like Jimmy G? That's not the case. They love Jimmy G. They pray Jimmy G has a successful season this year. They're not praying for that guy to get beat out by Trey Lance. Because they know Trey Lance is not ready to beat him out yet. Okay. Okay. So, when you're you're looking at how they handled him there, all of that stuff played into it. Plus, you have receivers who were never on the field. That f- team fell apart after the Super Bowl win. I, you know what? I've seen two teams since their Super Bowl appearance absolutely disintegrate in front of my eyes. You know who they were? They were the Eagles and Falcons. I have never in my life seen two teams just blow up like that and just fall to pieces in front of me inside of 24 months. I mean, the Falcons have never recovered from that 20-some-odd, 28-point lead they had against New England in the first half. And after the Super Bowl win, where they had so much luck, uh, the Eagles, they were the best team on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. That has never been the same since. Their lines have been train wrecks. They're moving dudes all over the place to try to fill holes. I mean, when you're filling holes, moving left tackles to guards and stuff, you're in trouble on your depth. You had all that going around. Then you had a quarterback holding on to the ball too much, trying to do too much. I always hate that comment too. Dude, I paid a guy $30 million. He should try to do too much. I want you to keep trying too much, you know? What, do you, what does that mean? Well, I'm not going to try as hard because, you know, we really don't have the talent around me and I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to – what do you want him to do? Not try? Yeah, it was easy to see what went and this is why I got the Colts in the AFC title game. This is easy to see. I told you. Wentz tapping the ball. I already know what he's doing. Tapping the ball, tapping his feet. And he's in the pocket. Get this, okay? He's holding too long, too long. Guy gets sacked. Loses 14 yards. It's third and 14, incomplete pass. They kick it. Field position is won by the other team on the opening drive of the freaking game. They drive half the field, kick a field goal or score a touchdown, Eagles down seven. How many times you see that? And everyone's going like this, holy cow. Him getting sacked or throwing a pick cost us a touchdown or us being behind or, most importantly, losing field position. The Eagles were notorious at that. Because the receivers, I couldn't tell you who the receivers are. Three dudes that worked like sanitation, I think, and maybe over at Philly X. I don't know, man, because I I didn't know who they were after Hertz went down. These guys were bums. I had nobody in there, man. That's why he's holding on to the ball like that. Frank's been talking. We've been talking about it. He sees it better now because, again, he's in a rehab And I have not talked to one soul yet who says that Wentz is not going to have a good year in Indy. And here's why. This kid, Jonathan Taylor, they got out of Wisconsin. By the way, for the record, man, here's another guy I missed on. I saw him, like, in the first half of the season last year. I was like this. He's not overly spectacular. You know, I, I, I wasn't really that impressed with the kid. Then all of a sudden, Rivers started turning the ball over. What did Frank do? Frank started going to him more started to see the carries uptick, go from 17. Then he started figuring out he's like an Emmett Smith dude. You know what that is? These guys get stronger as the game goes on, kind of the same way Derrick Henry runs the ball. Gets a little bit better. And I, I think he had nearly 1,200 yards rushing last year. So you put that in the room with him. Did Philly ever have a running attack? I don't remember Philadelphia having a rushing attack. Do you? So I was like, okay, you put a running game going and you have a top-flight defense on the other side of the football? Dude, I don't have to rely on Wentz to win ball games for me. I have to rely on Wentz not to get me jobbed in games. Don't blow the games, dude. Don't hold on to the football. Throw the freaking thing away. That's the one thing Frank Reich has said that Carson's worked on so much in the offseason has been, dude, it's okay to punt. Punting is okay. You don't have to make a play. Throw the freaking ball away. You got a top 10 defense. It's okay. Okay. We'll sustain it. He didn't have a top 10 defense in Philly last year. Couldn't do it. You won't, you don't have that in Philadelphia. You have that in Indy. So I got Buccaneers and Rams. Chiefs and Colts. All right. We're going to catch up with our friend and we're going to go down to the college level. I so love this guy's journey. One of my favorite people on the planet, Jed Fish, the head football coach of the Arizona Wildcats. He's next. Keep it right here on the National Football Show.
1: I get scared sometimes
4: of a lot of things.
3: Joining in,
4: decisions,
3: the dark, the dark.
4: It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
3: Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Silio. We're going to catch up with our friend Jed Fish, the head football coach of the Arizona Wildcats here in a sec. You know, I've been getting inundated by emails all morning long about the committee talking about the expansion on the 12 teams that's being proposed right now, even as we speak. It seems that pretty much all the commissioners are all in line with this, and I'm going to tell you why. Because now that you've got everybody on the same page, and I'm not just talking about the Power Five conferences. I'm talking about conferences like Conference USA, Mountain West, okay, conferences like that, all saying this. This now is going to be something that resembles a little bit what we see with the College Basketball National Championship. And when you're hearing, again, not Big Ten, not Southeastern Conference, not the ACC, not the Big 12, Pac-12, and you're not hearing those those guys are going to – and when you're most importantly – and I'm going to tell you something. We heard this the other day from Bill Hancock, and don't think that this wasn't a major issue here. Notre Dame is okay with, get this, never being higher than fifth going into the college playoff. And I'll tell you something here, man. I'll tell you what, I've been watching on the internet and I've been watching Arizona football and I've been watching Gronkowski, okay, talk about Arizona football. And it looks like it's a lot of fun. I see a lot of fun stuff going on. And here's the head football coach now with us from Arizona. He is Jed Fish. Jeff, man, Jed, it looks like you got a whole bunch of stuff. You got Gronk catching footballs out of helicopters, man. You got Teddy Bruschi. That's really dope, man, what you're doing for the kids by bringing, you know, the old veteran guys in and really showing everybody what the history of the program is and you're making it relevant for the kids today.
5: Yeah, Dan. Well, first, thanks for having me on here, man. It's been a while. We haven't talked for a couple months and uh, always appreciate you inviting me on. It means a ton to me. And we are having so much fun here in Tucson. We're actually in the middle of an official visit right now. We got another 10 or 12 prospects on campus currently. And uh, we've just. Um, We've tried to really embrace the past, you know, love what what we've done in the past, but then in the same token, really uh, try to create our own future. And uh, it has been a uh, – everybody's embraced it. I think our current players are excited to be a part of what we're doing, and I I certainly know that uh, there's been a lot of great energy around Tucson right now. Let
3: me throw this to you on the college level because I talked to Kevin Colbert, a couple of weeks ago, the vice president of the Pittsburgh Steelers and general manager. And he told me, Jed, that he had not had hands on with their draft choices until they walked into the building because of what went on with COVID. I'm like, so wait a minute, you're evaluating talent and you hadn't had really uh, face-to-faces because of the COVID protocols. He's like, no, we're, this was like the first time I'm wondering on the college level how that was for you going through recruiting and now being able to have a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, being able to talk to these kids more face to face. How tough it's been the last year?
5: Oh, well, it, you know, it's been crazy. And and then I'm kind of in a little even different boat because, you know, I was coaching in the NFL the last three seasons. So I had no real experience with any of these kids that are. We're either coming on campus or are considering to come to campus. And then I get hired December 28th. We're in the middle of the COVID dead period through June 1st. Um, there was a whole class of 16 guys that were signed from the last head coach that was beginning in June of this year, who I never even got to meet until they walked on campus for the very first time, June 1. Then we signed our own group of seven, uh, what do we go 14 guys and uh never got to meet them in person it was all through this type of conversation this type of interaction and like you can't get a real sense of their size and you know you kind of have an idea how tall I am but shoot I know that Cam Newton and Brian Hoyer said to me they thought I was six four until they met me in person It was really so <laughs> you never know you know you never know and you sit there and now all of a sudden they start walking on campus and luckily on June 1 everything opened back up and we've had a 36 official visits, and I know you won't believe it. We've had 2,600 campers come through oh. here, uh, over the last since June 3rd was our first football camp, and we've had nine of them, uh, or eight of them, and it's been wild. You know, you know, Jed,
3: you mentioned something that was always a dynamic, and like, and I'll just use a dynamic with that. that I was at you know, you go from Howard Schnellenberger back in the day to Jimmy Johnson, you know, one guy who was a a a regiment type of guy to another guy who was a high energy guy. And plus you have this, those are, those were his recruits. These are my recruits. And I know you don't want to go down that line. You don't want to have, that's the old regime. This is the new regime. How do you balance that? Because that's got to be kind of tough too, because these are the guys that you want and these are the guys you have. How do you, how do you balance that?
5: Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing i will tell you is our team that, let's call it I inherited or that I, when I uh, have embraced what we've asked them to do 1000%. They have been unbelievable. Uh, They are, they are like family immediately. Uh, We obviously are always going to have some roster changes during the time of a transition. That's very natural, especially with a transfer portal and graduation and some guys not fitting into what we want to get done. But the football team that's here, uh, every recruit that was recruited prior to our arrival, every member of the roster that is currently on the 118 players that we have, I will tell you, these guys, they feel like our own. They are our own, and they have been unreal to deal with. Uh, We had 50 of them in my house on Wednesday night for a barbecue, and they're throwing my kids in the swimming pool. They're taking water guns and shooting my wife when she's not paying attention. I mean, they were – They feel like a part of our family already, and we love it.
3: Absolutely. I love this here. You mentioned the transfer portal, and I was talking to, uh, you know, Coach Diaz from Miami the other day, and I I look at it like this, Jed. I think it reminds me of, like, NFL free agency. You know, not every place where you get a chance to go. I mean, look, if you go to a big-time program or any program, all of a sudden they're five deep at defensive tackle. Man, the chances of me getting reps – Um, The next three years is very limited. So a kid may want to transfer. It's not because he doesn't want to play there. It's because he just wants to play in general. How how have you embraced the transfer portal?
5: I think it's a great thing. Uh, I really do. I think, and I I made a comment in in one meeting that we were in, and I said, you know, until they stop coaches from being allowed to transfer, we shouldn't stop players from being allowed to transfer. And uh, we all know that coaches transfer every year. So uh, the truth be told, it's an opportunity, and we don't know everybody's story. We think we do, but there might be, an op- there might be as you said, a better opportunity to play football. Maybe they don't ever think they will be an NFL player, but they don't want to sit on the bench in college every year. Maybe there's an opportunity for somebody uh, to go work his craft in a different system. Maybe he believes that he would fit somewhere else better maybe when he was 18 he didn't make as good of a decision as he would have made when he's 20. and all of these things go into play and maybe uh, there's a situation where you get to a new coaching staff like we did and we brought 11 transfers in uh, we made changes with the roster there were certain deficiencies we had in the roster whatever it might have been in regards to how we chose to play certain positions uh you know we brought four linebackers in in the transfer portal Because of the type of defense we play might have been different than the type of defense the last staff played. So for us, and I believe in terms of the portal itself, like embrace the kids opportunity and allow them to have a chance to do what they think is best. Just like we as coaches make many decisions in our lives that are what we think are best.
3: Oh, I, I, I absolutely love the transfer portal. It gives the kids an opportunity if they want to stay or get a chance to go and play, as you said. Coach, you know, I know your journey and all the jobs that you've had and to be in this position, I could see that you have made it a family atmosphere, which is totally what the great coaches do. You know, I remember going to barbecues with Butch Davis too and going over to Jimmy's house. I mean, it was really a family and how we did things. But for yourself now moving into the main headset, You know, I've, I I talked to Bill Parcells about this. He said, you know, me not being a coordinator and me being a head coach was a transition. I mean, it wasn't like, I think everybody thinks that transition is seamless where, you know, you've been a quarterback coach, you know, you're dealing with Cam and Cam only, and maybe with Josh McDaniel a year ago, you know, now you've got to deal with hammerhead defensive guys like me and you've got to, deal with people and alumni guys you got to deal with the media you got to deal how have you gone through this process here on becoming a head coach
5: yeah you know it's really interesting I've since 2009 I've had an opportunity to either be an offensive coordinator or position coach or some some role whether it be at Miami as you know in 11 and 12 as the offensive coordinator or Jacksonville or Michigan or UCLA and And now it's not then you go as a position coach and you go in another role and you kind of are moved around and you've done a lot of different things. And then next thing you know, you're standing there and you're in front of the whole team and you're talking to a defensive lineman uh, about staying away from the quarterback or you're talking to a DB about not holding or you're talking to a wide receiver about, you know, not having a cheap block or you're taking an entirely different approach on how you want to talk to your football team. But I also feel as if I've been so fortunate with the great coaches that I've had a chance to learn from, work with, be a part of, that I've taken a lot of notes, man. And I've always thought that if this opportunity presented itself and it came, uh, and when it came, I'm 44 years old, 45 now, and uh, I was going to make the absolute best of it, I was going to try to use all of the best things that I've learned from so many people and then know there's going to be a learning curve. And I'm going to make mistakes, and I like to tell our players, man, I'm vulnerable too, and I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to screw some things up, and just like you guys are. But if we do it together and we continue to respect each other, we got a chance to do some great things.
3: I'll tell you something. I, I talk to Coach Johnson all the time, and Bill Belichick goes down and sees Jimmy down in the Keys. Just about every year he goes down and visits him. And I one year I was down there, and I'll never forget listening to him. And I go, Bill, when you prepare for a football game, how do you prepare – And how do you go about it? He goes, what do you think? I jam a square peg in a round hole every week. And I go, no, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you have a process. He goes, every week we're a chameleon. And here's what I mean. I look at a football team and I find the weakest link on those football teams. And to me, it's knowledge. If I think that that free agent or that player who's young or what have you, is something that we don't think he understands what he's being asked to do, especially in the first year of free agency, we attacked that side of the football. We attacked that player. Nothing personal against him. And where I'm going with this, Jed, is that you know you talk about influences on preparation. I'm just wondering, being around Bill like that, because it's a different style of going about and preparing a football team each and every single week. How much did you take away from that last year?
5: Well, you know, I, I've I've had the fortune to I've met Coach Belichick when I was at Miami in 2012 when he came down to visit us 11 or 12 and he was going to work some players out and I had a chance to meet him I think he was going to work out Travis Benjamin uh, and then Olivier Vernon and I had a chance to spend time with him there and then maintain a relationship for all these years and then obviously we got to work with him and there is a mentality on how to prepare for a football game and the ability to take a Sunday and keep it separate from the Sunday before and the Sunday moving forward and say, this is the way we beat this football team. And then next week, this will be the way we beat this football team. And we're talking to our team the very same way. Our goal right now, obviously, is to have the best summer we could possibly have. Win the weight room, you know, win the conditioning, be in great shit. You know what it was like when Jimmy got there in Miami. Uh, I'm, by no means am I comparing myself, but I do know the importance of conditioning. And I do know how hard our guys are asked to work. We hired the strength coach from University of Alabama, 29-year-old guy that won five national championships already. And I said, Tyler, you put in the strength coach, bro. You put in the strength program. And whatever it takes to win, you've seen it. You've seen it year in and year out. Let's replicate that and let's build our program around that. And then in terms of our preparation, we're going to build our program around beating uh, BYU opening day and figure out the rest later.
3: I'll tell you what, Jed, you just gave me goosebumps because let me tell you this, the two most, every time I've talked to Nick, Bill, or Jimmy, the most important hire they tell me they ever make is the strength and conditioning coach. His comments were half the year. I'm not in front of the kids. They're basically the head coach in the off season. And I've got to know that that dude's going to have my guys prepared for the That's why, you know what, if people don't realize this, that's why they're one of the highest-paid guys on any coaching staff because these are the guys that are like the second head coach, unlike the coordinators. I don't think people really realize how the preparation really has to go into that position, a lot different than it was 30 years ago.
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, that position is so critical. That was uh, – he. Uh, they won the national championship. He got on a flight 8 a.m. the next morning from Miami, arrived here by 4 p.m., and we got going, and he starts running up our plan. But he taught. He's with our team every day, and we get two hours a week. He gets six hours a week, uh, the whole off season. So every opportunity, he's the one that's talking to him. He's the one that's really taking our message and sharing it with him downstairs. And uh, he brought in three assistants that have all coached at Alabama before with him. He brought in another assistant from another program. So we've got five strength coaches down here. We just did a million. We just built a million dollar weight room that opened up June one. We started construction uh, when I got here. Uh, there were no plans for it in place. We raised the money. We rebuilt the whole strength program, the whole weight room, uh, because I wanted it the way he wanted it. It's the most important thing. If we're in good shape, if we're strong, if we're physical, and we're tough, you got a chance to win games. And um, that's going to be our mentality all the way through and gave him a brand-new weight room to work his magic.
3: Two last questions for you. Do you keep an eye on what's going on? with the 12-team playoff that's being proposed. I mean, today, I've been inundated with emails about how they're going to go about this thing. You know, the one thing that I have heard is that it's going to be, it seems, more open to having other teams other than the Power Five conferences have an opportunity at winning a national championship. Let's be candid, Coach. You know this. Just because you're 12-0, and 0. if you're in Mountain West or you're in any other conference like Conference USA, the chances of you playing in that Final Four are slim night you would have to play in the AFC South if you have a chance to go and play in that final four do you keep an eye on that or are you just right now all focused on what's going on at Arizona
5: yeah I'm, I've heard that you know about the 12 team playoff which I'm a big fan of so for for me it's expand the opportunity of playoffs I mean the NFL does it uh the NBA does it College basketball has a tournament like let's expand it let's let it rip let's see what happens. But we got big fish to fry here. We we haven't won a game here in 700 days, and uh, we need to get that turned around and flipped. Uh, and then we worry about that next level. But of course, uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to have a, a playoff chance for the Pac-12 to make sure that the Pac-12 always has a team represented. And uh, ideally, we have more than one in there because we're uh, playing a good we're playing good football, and that's what we need to get to. Okay,
3: well, this is how I'm going to end it with you here. My daughter plays at Grand Canyon University Division One Rugby. So when I'm over there, man, I'm going to knock on your door over there and see what the hell's going on over there.
5: Wide open for you. Wide <laughs> open. You come by anytime you want. And uh, we'll even let you I lift a little bit because I can see you still doing that. <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Hey, Coach, thank you so much, man. I'm so excited for you. You know I root for you. I can't wait for Arizona football this year. Thank you, Coach. Happy trails on recruiting.
5: Thanks, man. You're the best, Dan. Appreciate you, buddy.
3: See you, man. You got it, man. That is the head football coach of the Arizona Wildcats, and I got great things um, really to say about that coach. That coach has waited his entire life for that job, and I couldn't be more happy for my friend. All right, we'll take a quick timeout. I promise you, we're going to get to the Big sales Top 10. We'll do that next, right here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes
4: of a lot of things.
3: Joining in
4: There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at goarmy.com.
3: Welcome back to the National Football Show, Dan Silio. Great catching up with Jed Fish. Check him up on that too. You know what's funny? I know both coaches now. both by the way, we've had both Arizona coaches on. Herm Edwards was also on with us a couple weeks back. And now Jed Fish. So both of them are dear friends of mine, man. I mean, really, they both invited me over because my daughter goes to college there in Arizona. And they maybe I'll just make a you know a, a, a big caravan you know, trip around both campuses and get a chance to go see both my friends. And I think both those football coaches are just really great. And I think they're going to be really great for their, for their programs. And Herm's already making great headway there with that Arizona state program. And Jed's going to do the same thing because he brings excitement into the room. You can feel it, right? He's got great energy and, you know, he's waited his whole entire life. He's 44. So he's young. His energy level is going to be in the room there. And he's learned by, You know, just being around some of the greatest coaches of all time, being around Jimmy Johnson, being around Mark Rick, being around guys who you understood who could move the football in, what it took to develop a football program, and being around a guy like Coach Saban or being around a guy like Belichick is just going to pay dividends for him. So I look forward to seeing what Coach Fish does there with the Arizona Wildcat football program. All right. Oh, and by the way, quick programming note, we'll remind you again before we... Uh, close it up for the day that Archie Manning will join us at 530 Eastern on Monday and maybe a son, Eli. So we're working on that. They got a kid. I think he's Cooper's kid. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's Archie's great. I think it's Archie's grandson. This kid Arch Manning is like the highest recruited college or excuse me, college prospect um, in the country. And he's got like over 200 scholarship offers to go and play college football. You know, how would you like to be in that house? Ole Miss is a big, it's a big deal. It's where Archie Sr. played, and that's where Eli played, right? Okay, and Cooper actually signed a scholarship before he ended up getting injured. That's why he stopped his play, and he was there at Ole Miss. Peyton's the one that went to Tennessee, and Tennessee is recruiting him hard. And Peyton is recruiting Arch Manning for Tennessee. And, you know, you got a little riff going on. So I I don't know what Archie's going to say on Monday, but this kid's the number one recruit in the country. And he's involved with the College Football Hall of Fame and everything. He's really plugged into college football. We'll talk to him about raising two superstar sons and Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, his career. He was an MVP also himself. When he played for the Saints, we'll get his thoughts on Drew Brees and everything. It'll be so fun to talk to him and catch up with him again. That'll be on Monday at 5:30 Eastern time. All right. I, I have been just carrying this on because you know, we get so many really cool people on the program. I've kind of like been brushing it off a little bit here when it comes to like, you know, my top 10. And so we're fortunate now that we got a little time here so that we're gonna be able to do this here. And let me do this. Every year going into training camp, I always put out my top 10 football players. These are the guys that I would want to have on my football team that I think that are the best players at their respected positions. And these are guys that I look at as the preeminent guys that are in the league. Now, look, could you make a substitute for any one of these guys? Remember something, when you're talking about barbershop talk, and that's kind of what this is a little bit. This is preference in the style of player. So there's no right or wrong. You know, I tell people, you know, when when somebody likes a wide receiver versus another guy, and it's just preference. You know, some things, maybe there's another metric that you look at with a player that the other guy doesn't look at, and he just completely looks at numbers, and he doesn't look at what kind of teammate or whatever. It's not necessarily wrong. Like, watch this. Would you want TO on your team? Now – The first response would be from a conservative person, no, me, I would. I don't want to be friends with Tio. I don't care if the player likes me. I'm one of those coaches. I don't care. Hey, if you like me, great. It makes it easier for me to coach. You're here because I believe you can help my football team win. Do we have to go out and, like, go have snow cones together? (laughs) No. I think you have that confused. Now, like I said, would it make it easier to coach? Absolutely. But if somebody tells, every time someone goes, I don't want T.O. on my team, you don't want T.O. on your team. Really? Arguably the second best receiver in the history of the league. You wouldn't want that guy. Well, then you're dumb. That guy is a game-changing player. And I always love this. Well, he, he was a, he was a cancer in the locker room. For who? Maybe the only top-flight quarterback he played for. It was Donovan McNabb. The rest of those guys were the Jeff Garcias of the world and the Tim Rattays of the world. They were bums. I mean, what do you think? I'm going to look at Jeff Garcia and take Jeff Garcia's word over T.O.? You're not in T.O.'s league. To still put numbers up with that stiff. McNabb was the only quarterback. I had Romo. Okay? Whatever you think of Tony Romo, I think Romo's a good player. I think McNabb was his best quarterback he ever played with. So I don't care if these guys like me or not. I'm bringing you in my football team. This is professional sports. This is not professional dating. I'm not trying to date you. I'm trying to win with you. And if you want to be friends, that's on you. I want you to be my friend, but I don't care if you are or not. Yeah, but don't you want – no, this ain't college, man. I don't have to love the player. I have to love the player's skill set. That's why you get guys like A.B. on your team. A.B., you're not going to like that personality. I'll tell you what, I love his skill set, though. That's what Brady looks at. Brady looks at that skill set and goes, I'll take that over, that unconventional." Or what what, what does Mark Murphy say? Complex. Whatever that that means. Anyway, here's my top 10. Let me get to it. This player's holding out right now. By the way, he's got $7 million owed to him in this offseason. That's probably why the conversation is going on in New England right now and probably why there's some bitching going on because they don't like to pay guys big money, and especially a non-offensive guy. Remember something? Stephon Gilmore is, in my opinion, the best lockdown corner in the league, and that includes Jalen Ramsey with the Rams. I think this guy's the best. He's former defensive player of the year a couple of years back. I think this guy is an awesome football player, and he is a preeminent corner in the league. There's not a cornerback in the NFL. This guy is the modern-day Darrell Reeves. He does that sideline technique that Reeves used to do by pushing you. By the time you realize it, you're out of bounds. He's so gifted. He's strong up top. He's got breaking speed that he can hang with some of the fastest guys. And he has Ed Reed mentality, too, when it comes to really being a savant of the position. You know, Reed, in the safety position, he could read the entire defense. When you see Stefan Gilmore back there at the cornerback spot, he's also that guy. At nine, I know this is going to be with an asterisk. I got Deshaun Watson here. When you watch that season that Deshaun Watson played with the Texans last year, I can't believe that football team. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that football team was 4-12. and How? This guy was awesome last year. You know how? Dysfunctional in the front office. Cal McNair sucks as an owner. Bob McNair sucked as an owner. Then what happened was they got rid of a general manager. They gave the powers to the head coach. And Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien's a head football coach. He's not a general manager. And what happened? You diluted the ability of Bill O'Brien to be a head football coach. When Deshaun Watson saw that Bill O'Brien got fired, immediately he knew he wanted out because he knew Bill O'Brien is a heck of an offensive-minded coach. You know where Bill O'Brien is now? Bill O'Brien is in Alabama right now as the offensive coordinator of the Bama Crimson Tide and will be an NFL head football coach And the next three years, maybe even a big-time college football program. Could you see him at some place like Notre Dame? Absolutely. He did a whale of a job when he was at Penn State after the whole Paterno mess. I really like him, man. And Deshaun Watson, I thought, benefited from it, even though they had nobody in that offensive huddle being able to help him at all. He was great last year. At eight, I've got George Kittle tied in 49ers. Man, they got a quarterback that can get him the rock. He's a game-changing guy. I fall in love with the tight end position, and the reason I do because it's a mismatch. If you don't have linebackers that can cover, or you don't have defensive ends that can cover these tight ends, then you can't stop these guys. When you got people that can get off the line of scrimmage, and you got people that can block in the run game and they've got Chris Carter hands, and they know how to get separation like Rice, you're talking about people that there's very few people in the NFL that can cover guys like George Kittle. You know, remember that kid, uh, Ryan Shazier, a couple years back who got paralyzed with the Steelers? Ryan Shazier is one of the biggest losses that the Steelers have had over the last couple years, including A.B. and Le'Veon Bell, because he could cover Gronk. This guy could cover that guy going up the seam. This guy could play him on the line of scrimmage. He was great. At number seven, I got Michael Thomas, Saints wide receiver. Great football player, man. I got to kind of hurry here a little bit. You talk about a guy. Now, we'll see who gets him the football here. If Jameis Winston can get it to him or Tyson Hill, but I got him there. I got Lamar Jackson. I've been talking all week about Lamar. It's going to be very interested to see what the Ravens are going to do financially. If they get the deal done in the middle of the season, or they wait until the end of the year. But I got him at six. At number five, I got Travis Kelsey. What do you have, over 100 catches? Whew. Man, with Hill on the other side, too of him, all they need is a running game. They get a running game going, Travis Kelsey will have 150 catches. He's not quite Gronk at the point of attack. We want to hear something? Gronk and him are almost the same age. You'd never know it, right? Watching these two players play, you'd never know it. At four, I got Russell Wilson. I mean, when you start getting up towards this, we're talking about just a little bit where we're talking the difference between another guy. And again, it's talking about your favorite dessert here or your favorite chocolate here. Russell Wilson, in my opinion, has been one of those guys that really, you know, you just look at his career, being told he couldn't play at NC State any longer, had to transfer. You know, it was drafted later in the third round. I love the kid. I've got Aaron Rodgers. I, excuse me, i got Aaron Donald at number three. Best, The best three technique I've seen since Sapp. The only difference between Sapp and him is that I don't think Donald plays the run as effectively as Warren did. But Aaron Donald's a better pass rusher than Warren Sapp. But again, we never would know if Sapp didn't have responsibilities that he didn't have to play the run. Donald doesn't have to play the run. But Aaron Donald's the best three technique pass rushing-wise I've seen in the last 25 years, he's in tre- he's incredible. I've got Rodgers at number two. And I think we've said enough about Aaron. 48 touchdowns, five interceptions. And I've got Patrick Mahomes at number one here. I know some would say, where's Brady? Dude, Brady's got his own, like, category. Okay? I don't know where to put Brady. He's 56 years old. I have no idea, okay? These guys are all good, but... Where do you put Brady? One, 10, 15? Anyway, I, I started to show up by saying, I hope everybody has a great Father's Day weekend. The significant person that was important to you and getting to you and getting you where you are today. Hopefully it was your dad, your grandpa, somebody else in your family. Just make sure you have a great and safe weekend. We're all starting to get together. Don't forget on Monday, Archie Manning will join us at 5.30 Eastern time. We'll say this to you too. Hey, don't forget, like the show, share the show. We really appreciate it. Want to thank Krause, Cal, Big Joe. Thank you again. You guys have been dope and sensational. Have a safe weekend. Till Monday, four to six. I'll see you on the flip side.